When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Boom, back from vacation, ready to rock and roll. What's going on at your guys from offside? Clark Monroe and James Roberts. Tonight, talking some L.A. Kings, Toronto Maple Leafs with Dennis Bernstein here in a few moments. But to kick it off, let's just say thank you to Boxing Rock for all their wonderful support. We love them. Thank you, Boxing Rock, the big beer for the big show. And the big show that did not happen, well, it was Team Canada not getting the job done overseas. What an easy segue that was. Womp, 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 womp. Oh, man. So it looks like we're going to have to have a summit on Team Canada. Everybody's freaking out. For me, I say, guys, guys, folks, other nations are building their programs. Other nations are doing better. Other nations are growing what we called our game. So now we need to step our game up. That's as simple as it is. And you can go with the easy route. Well, if we had the Fintillies and the Bensons and the Bedards, we'd win this tournament easily. Well, we didn't. And other teams didn't have their A game and their A talent either. So it is what it is. If it's going to be this way this year, it's okay. We've rebounded nicely before and we will rebound again. A lot of people throwing a lot of uh, un unneeded hate towards Frazier Minton and Mr. Easton Cowan because they're Maple Leafs and, hey, they shouldn't have made the team and he shouldn't have been the captain and this, that, and the other stuff. That's a little misguided if you ask me. It's an entire team. It's a team effort from top to bottom. Rousseau, a guy that I love out here, the rooster for the uh, the Halifax Mooseheads, didn't have his greatest game. It's, it's just what it is. Sometimes you come up on the short end of the stick, you go back to the drawing board, and you come back next year, which is what Team Canada will have to do. And by the way, there's only one team that wins gold anyways. Everyone else goes back to the drawing board. So it's not our year. Chalk it up to that. And also, the refs suck over there. Holy (laughs) Grandma Doobie out there talking about the refs. Let's go. Yeah, no, you know, it's so funny, James. We, every year, there's always a point in the, in the tournament. Every year, even if they're doing well, there's always a point in the tournament where uh, Canadian hockey fans say, uh, you know what, insert my local junior hockey team here, guy, star player, should have been there because they sure could use his scoring ability right now. And there's a lot in Western Canada saying Andrew Kristall, Riley Height, uh, Jagger Furkus should have been there the whole time. He didn't even get in when he got there. Um, which might not have been by design. I think they probably wanted to play a little bit longer, but um, that that's one thing that I always, I always find it kind of humorous every year in the world juniors, just everybody's um, you know, I'm, I'm from Halifax and this guy should have been on the team. I'm from the Ramparts uh, nation and this guy should have been on the team. I'm from uh, Kelowna and this guy should have been on the, you know, it's just, it's such a, it's a embarrassment of riches that Canada has available to it in order to make these rosters as strong as they are in the first place. Uh, and every single year, there's always going to be snubs, and every single year, there's always going to be hindsight being 2020. Um, but at the same time, this roster just didn't seem to ever have a ton of chemistry to it. Uh, like you said, Russo, I thought played great in net. I don't think any of this was at his fault. I saw a couple of the goals against Germany, for example. He kind of got left out to dry or left out hanging. Uh, and you know, I think he did his job. Russo did his job. I don't think that was. 
you know, he played every minute of the tournament as well. They didn't have the, they didn't give the backup any minutes at all. Not a chance. Uh, which I don't, you know what? That's not my favorite strategy because I, I did read a tweet and I heavily agreed with it. I can't remember who tweeted it. So sorry for the person who did, but I'm stealing your credit. Um, basically saying like, now you've put yourself in a position where if your starter does struggle in the quarterfinals, you're putting in a goalie who hasn't played in like two weeks. Um, and that, I think that's a good point uh, where I think the backup should get one game at least so that he's seen some game action going into the playoff rounds in case something happens. But again, that wasn't Rousseau's loss. That wasn't his fault. That was, uh, I thought, just a sloppy game overall. They never got anything going. Their power play wasn't strong enough uh, considering how much firepower they had available to them. And it's just, uh, it just wasn't, it wasn't their year. And like you said, now we're going to have to have a summit because uh, that's what happens whenever they don't get past the quarterfinals. You got to have some sort of big, big danger conference. We got to call things off. We got to look at everything from a grassroots level up. And uh, that's kind of just how, it, that's how, exactly. That's how Canada is. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those years. And like you said a minute ago, James, is I think this is less about Canada's talent in the sport and more about some of these other countries getting better and better uh and maybe maybe canada taking things for granted a little bit uh just a little bit but you know chechi is a strong country they have been for a long time and they're getting better uh and all these littler countries germany gave them a hard time uh latvia you know they beat them up pretty good but it's good to see them there and uh you know stuff like that and uh, people keep arguing every year too that uh, they don't want this tournament to be as big as it is in terms of teams. I th I think that's hogwash, and I hate that argument. Keep these smaller countries in there because that's how you get these players growing. That's how Leon Dreisaitl inspired an entire generation of German hockey players below him, younger than him. Uh, and you're seeing those guys continue to come up because of it. And I just think that you need to give these guys these opportunities to shine. And, and the Cinderella stories to me sometimes are more impressive than the juggernauts running through teams, in my opinion. So I love it. Anyways, that's my uh, overarching everything under the sun Team Canada slash World Juniors rant for the day. Well, listen, we'll be back. We'll be back. But listen, as promised, we do have our friend Dennis Bernstein joining us. I was just emailing him. I saw his, uh, his message over on X, but we'll bring him on. There he is, the man, the myth, the legend in the LA King lure. What's going on, Dennis? Hey, James, hey, Clark. Uh, yeah, myth for sure. Not sure, legend. <laughs> great to be with you. Happy 2024 and happy to talk a little puck with you. Yeah, happy 2024. Well, let's jump right into it. I know you got a short amount of time here. Obviously, the, uh, the Maple Leafs out facing the LA Kings tonight. Mm -hmm. um, the Maple Leafs sputtering themselves. What can they see from the LA Kings tonight that may give them a little bit of uh, good spirit heading into 2024 here? The Kings' lousy home record? <laughs> Probably, yeah. I didn't want to say it. I... Yeah, exactly. Two entirely different teams. And they'll also see this. One, three, one. They're going to see the one, three, one from the Kings. I know the people in Montreal really hate it and think the Kings were a boring team, despite the fact that I think they're third in points percentage and seventh in scoring in the league. Uh, but more of the same that just saw in the full one victory in Toronto in November. Uh, but for some reason, the, the Kings just the, – the, the tension to detail – uh, just the, the incomplete efforts. They'll have play a great 20 minutes and play a mediocre 40 minutes the other night against uh, Edmonton. Great first period. Went out 2 nothing, controlled the game, and then just took their foot off the gas pedal. So I think um, if you're a Leafs fan or any other fan that uh, is half the team that's going into Los Angeles these days, you have a pretty good shot of beating them as opposed to Kings visiting your rink. Uh, so that's what you'll probably see with respect to uh, L.A. tonight. Now, there's a couple of players on the LA Kings that are just thorns in the side of Toronto Maple Leafs fan. One is Philip Deneau, yeah. uh, really finds a way to get his game turned up against the Maple Leafs. And I see Clark's head going back. The other is Pierre-Luc <laughs> Pierre Dubois. Um, for whatever reason, he just does not mix well with the Maple Leafs. Uh, they don't like him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like them. Um, obviously, can stir the pot with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Who else on this team brings that kind of thing. And I know there's a couple of players there too. Hello, Trevor Moore. Oh, yeah. Um, turning it up for uh, for LA and a lot of Leaf fans just wishing we had that depth in our lineup right now. Um, but is there anyone else the Leafs should be worried about going into this game that really can bring the intensity? And also, hello, Anze Kopitar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Kopitar has been amazing. There's been no regression in his game, James. He's 36 nope. years old. He's still a point-of-game player playing 19 minutes a night. Now, you talk about Dubois. 
and people are ripping him left and right in Los Angeles because he hasn't earned his $8.5 million price tag. What he has done, he, he's given Kopitar some relief with respect to the time on ice. Like Kopi true. was getting like 20, 21 minutes last night, uh, last year, and now he's getting about 19. The other guy you want to watch out is the local kid who had a great game. When it's first time he's ever played at, at uh, Scotiabank is Quentin Byfield, an entirely different player. They've been waiting on this player for two seasons last year, three goals in 50 games, uh, came in healthy, came in way more confident. He's big. He's fast. He's doing all the things necessary. So Leafs fans got to watch out for that top line of Kempe Kopitar and, and Byfield. And yeah, Deneau has carried over his angst for uh, the Leafs from his Montreal days. But, you know, Phil's one of those quiet guys who goes out and plays 17 minutes a night. He plays great defensively. You mentioned the partnership with Trevor Moore, who's been, you know, once Trevor got healthy, despite the fact that he is a great guy, and I got to know him over the last season, just a really, really good guy. You don't root for teams, but you certainly root for individual players. Trevor Moore is one of the nicest guys I've ever covered. Uh, so, And he's been great. I think 17, 18 goals. It's just been a nice season for Trevor Moore. So the, the the issue with the Kings is lately they haven't their offense has kind of dried up a little, and it's not necessarily the forwards. They haven't scored a goal from the blue line, I think, in uh, the last seven games. So I think the last time they scored a goal was from a defenseman was um, Gavrikov in the overtime loss to uh, the Islanders that broke their road streak. So they're not getting a ton of offense from the blue line. And what you've been what you've been seeing with respect to this team is that from the blue line they haven't been able to get their shots through. I had a statistic the other day. Now, the first thing that's ridiculous is Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights have completed their season series, right? Kings haven't even played Vancouver yet. They've played one against Edmonton, and now they have three-game season series. But in that series, Vegas blocked 86 Kings shots. And I asked Todd McClellan about that. Like, what, what's the deal with the defense not scoring? He says, yeah, we got to find a better way to get the puck to the net from the blue one. So that is a one area of opportunity that in the early six weeks of the season, they were getting goal production. But they haven't got a goal from Matt Roy, who had nine last year. They haven't got a goal yet from Jordan Spence. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the difficulty. So when you see the team, they were second or third in scoring in offense like the first month of the season. Now they dropped to seventh. Part of the reason is they're not getting any production from the blue line. Now, that is a problem, and I know Clark's going to jump on this one, is for the Maple Leafs as well. And if maybe L.A. can figure out what's ailing them, maybe they can pass that note along to the Toronto <laughs> Maple Leafs on the back end. Outside of Morgan Riley, it is a dark, abysmal hole yep. on the back end for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So you don't have to worry about defensive scoring for the Leafs. Obviously, we do have some weapons up front. You're pretty familiar with the big names, but sure. some guys are starting to find their own stride too in the Domies, in the Yarn Croaks, in the um, – the Nick Robertsons as well, but right. obviously our fourth line is a mishmash. We just sat our supposed Philip Deneau light center the other night in David Camp. So David Camp, he'll, of course. <laughs> he'll, he'll be motivated. Listen, I like David Camp. When he's on for the faceoff dot, when he's doing his thing, yeah. he's a good player, and he's what you need in your bottom six. But when right. he's not, he's not bringing much of anything else to your lineup, and that makes it difficult, especially when you throw him out there to rely on those defensive faceoffs. Now, I do see that we are facing probably Cam Talbot tonight. Yep. Um, he's playing pretty good. You talk you talk mm -hmm. about dipping in the fountain of youth and re-emerging himself. This guy's got, what, a 924 save percentage this season. Yep. If if there's anything that's ailing a team, like you talk about the defense of the LA King not scoring, just face the Toronto Maple Leafs. That always seems to spin around, and teams yep. figure it out, whether it's a goalie getting a fresh start whether it's a rookie, whether it's D scoring, first goals, the Leafs are on the ledger for all the history books for all of those things. So if it ails the team, play the Leafs. They'll figure it out. But Clark, you're going to jump in on something David was saying there. So go ahead. Yeah, two two quick things for you, for you, Dennis. Uh, we got yeah. Cam Talbot, like we just talked about, against Martin Jones. A year ago, if you would have said tonight's goalie matchup would have been Cam Talbot for the Kings and Martin Jones for the <laughs> Leafs, uh, I think we all would have said we were all crazy. Uh, but Cam Talbot has been sensational for the Kings this yeah. year. Uh, I've picked him up in every fantasy league. Thanks, Cam. Yeah. Uh, and Martin Jones has been, uh, I'm going to say, a steadying presence. I'm not going to say he's been great, but he's been a steadying presence. Uh, but he's been a thorn in the side of the Kings for a decade uh, with the Sharks, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So what, what's, what's the biggest thing for Cam Talbot this year? And I guess facing an old friend in Martin Jones for the Kings, what, what do you expect them to kind of go for? I think the biggest thing for Cam was health. Remember yeah. last season in Ottawa, he was hurt twice, right? And the season before that, he was a 9-13, 9-15 save percentage guy the prior two seasons in Ottawa. So health, number one. Number two, this team doesn't give up much. I, I think they lead the league in least amount of high-danger chances against. And so what you're, you're not 
like Cam's has a great record. I think he's won 12 games or something like that. I don't know what it is, but he hasn't stolen a game. Like he gets great run support. He makes the saves. Here's the thing, Clark. Last year, the medium and low danger chances this time of year was getting through Jonathan Quick and Cal Peterson. And that's why you saw Phoenix Copley, who's now out on LTIR. He came in and helped save the season because he made the saves he was supposed to make. Cam has been great. He's been solid in the room. He's a really good guy. He's one of the leaders. He's made the saves he needs to make. Like he, he hasn't put up a 50 save performance to steal a game because the Kings play too good of a defense to allow 50 shots in a game. So that's part of the issue and part of that's why the success has been there. And he's stopping the shot, the, the shots that are getting through that were like medium sized shots, let's say from 40 feet out from the slot that were getting me through quick or Peterson. They're not getting through this year. And when you look at the penalty kill, I think it was 27th or 28th last year. And now it's first. It's yeah. The same amount of chances. They're getting more saves. You know, it's amazing, guys. Sometimes it's just getting saves and you win games. And a lot of that has to do with what, what the Kings, their off, what their defense does. But they're, they're getting the saves that they need to get. They're not getting those soul-sucking. Like you're up 2 nothing, you give up a goal from 50 feet that shouldn't go in. That's not happening this season for L.A. So the question is, what do you do with Cam Talbot? I know what he wants an extension, not at a ton of money. But they're certainly going to go into the market and spend more money in goaltending next season and this season. And the Phoenix Copley injury gives Data Riddish a shot. And he's 2-0, and Dave. But the big save Dave's beaten two teams. Actually, he's beaten one team. He's beaten San Jose twice. Yeah. So at some point, you got to start playing better teams, right? But the question is, how much can Cam play? He can't play more than, let's say, 54, 55 games. So Dave or Phoenix Copley comes back, got to come in and give them like 25 games of decent goaltending. If Riddich can't do that, then, you know, Blake might look for something at the trade deadline with respect to a third goaltender. So last one for me here, Dennis, because I know you don't have a yeah. whole lot of time. I'm, I'm sitting here watching Washington and Pittsburgh right now uh, play sure. against each other. You know, those two teams and the Kings were powerhouses during the same era, I'll say. Right. The Kings have come a re- full circle and they're back at the top while Washington and Pittsburgh are sputtering. Uh, mm-hmm. Kopitar's still around, Dowdy's still around. But what has been the biggest thing for the Kings in terms of getting back to where, the, you know, the level they kind of yeah. were at five, six, seven, eight years ago? Uh, when they were at the top of the league every single year, whereas these other teams are just aging out, it seems. Well, patience, number one, because that patience with a guy, even a guy like Adrian Kempe, who when Tom McClellan came to town was a you know 15 goal scorer playing center on the third line, and they you know they, he was playing out of position. They put him on the left wing with Kopitar. They got chemistry. He's now a very dangerous goal scorer. So it's part of it's chemistry, part of it is sliding guys incorrectly because it you know the the perception Clark is that oh the Kings drafted really well, they drafted high picks. That's how they got here. It's not how they got here. Yes, they've had some success with respect to the drafts, but they traded for Fiala. They traded for Dubois, despite the, his, his lack of performance. Right? They they signed Duno uh, as a free agent. They traded for Arvidsson, who, if he comes back, is going to be a huge addition. So it's patience, and they just slotted guys in, and they had patience. And I give the coach a lot of credit. There's a lot of guys who have emerged under Doug McClellan. I know yep. there's a faction of Kings fans that don't want to hear that, that think that Taj should be fired after every game they lose. But you look at Kempe, you look at Byfield, you look at a guy like Mikey Anderson, who was a fifth-round pick. Now he's a top-pair defenseman, 22 minutes a night. Matt Roy was drafted in the seventh round. He's emerged. There's a lot of players who have emerged under this coaching staff. And so it's patience, it's coaching. There's a lot of talent here, and they're going for it. Like This is the year that, you know, it's funny. They're they're, they're, um, celebrating the 10th anniversary of winning their last cup. It's also the last time they won a playoff series. And it's winning time. Like this, there's no excuses. Like if, if you play, if they, if the Kings play Edmonton again in the playoffs, they got to beat them. You can't go three seasons in a row losing to Edmonton. I think this team is certainly better equipped because they're better defensively. They're better on the PK. Maybe they get an offensive boost if uh, Arvidsson can come back from his back surgery, which they suspect maybe in about six weeks, which would be a nice deadline ad. Uh, but th- it's, a, it's a combination of things, Clark. It's not just one thing. And it's taken a minute. It hasn't yep. like they turned this around in one year. Like I was there like three seasons ago, like during like COVID, what you'd watch the team and they go down to the Leafs two nothing at home in five minutes into the game. And the game was over. That, that's not the case anymore. They're not overmatched anymore. Yeah, yeah. And they have depth. Like, you know, you talk about the Leafs. What are the Leafs? They appear to be a top every team. The Kings aren't. The Kings are going to roll four lines and use three pairs tonight. That's what they've done all season. It's going to continue to work. And they get guys like, uh, Grunstrom and Lazat and even Trevor Lewis coming back. So, and that's what wins, right? It's great to have superstars on your team, but it appears like a team like Vegas, you know, last year they didn't have a 30 goal score on their team. Marcus, I think had 28 or 29. 
it, it's the depth that the Kings have. It's the, the trust between the coaching staff and the team. That's been a lot of their success so far this season. Well, let's flip that on its head. I'll ask my last question and let you go because I know you got to roll. Look at the Leafs. And I say, we just talked about the Kings and all the things they're doing right. For you, what do the Leafs need to do? Because this season looks like it's starting to be that Brian Burke 18-wheeler heading for the cliff. <laughs> and it's not pretty right now. Obviously, they've won one game in the last six. Their goaltending is abysmal. The yeah. defense isn't looking right. What do they need to do to turn this around? And I said it today. Maybe drop Mitch Marner to that third line. Get bounce scoring through your top nine, have stars all the way through. Maybe that does something for you. Clicks to the third line, makes that a more scoring threat. But what should the Leafs be looking to do here? Uh, Mitch Marner, I'm not sure the family would like him being dropped to the third line. So I'm not sure that's really, <laughs> oh, really going to happen. He might even know how the family operates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we do. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, look, James, I think here's the thing. Like they're going to make the playoffs, right? So, so let's talk about this team at the trade deadline. What are they going to do after after the trade deadline? Is the goaltending still going to be abysmal, or is it going to still be a, a ton of question marks? I don't know. Like, so could they get out of the East? Look, here's the thing: if I'm if I'm Keith, I'm telling I'm you know I, I put on the board every day two words: Florida Panthers. They got into the eight seed. They got hot. They found a goaltender, and they won games, and they got to a Cup final. So I'm not I'm not in panic mode, right? I mean, the, yeah. The, the, Here's when you start panicking. If the Leafs don't finish in the top three in the Atlantic, start panicking, right? Is it? Is it? Are you going to panic at game 34, 35? Yeah, I know it's Toronto, very reactionary. The media is going nuts, whatever. I, I wouldn't worry about it. I think you have to be healthy. You have to find another goaltender. You're going to have to find a goaltender to make saves. And that's the really thing. Saves at key yeah. times are not happening in Leafland. Yeah. When Joe Wool's not in that. Joe Wool was looking pretty yeah. darn good. Oh, yeah. No, he's, he would be solid. But is Martin Jones going to be your guy? I mean, no. But again, you have 60% of the game season left. So I wouldn't be panicking now. I, I think Tree has to assess where this team will be like a month out from the trade deadline. Like, watch my opportunity. Where are my gaps right now? Right now, you hit lulls. You go up and down. You know, Kings are playing 500 hockey for the last three weeks. Nobody's panicking here because you know you have a good enough team with talent. It's a question is like, can this team, and I keep going back to this in Toronto, like, are they really committed to playing the defensive style of hockey you need to play to, to win in the playoffs? I, I don't see it. I don't. I don't know if they have the personnel. I don't have the. the I don't think it's even about the personnel. It's about the mindset. Like, are you willing to lay down in front of a block shot like an Alec Martinez or Pedro Angel does in the playoffs? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to back check when you when you miss a an, a two on one and come back and get back into the play? Are you defensively responsible? I'm not sure that's in this team's DNA, and I think that's the biggest concern if I have not about personnel, but do they have the DNA to win in the playoffs? They're going to make the playoffs, but then. What's the expectation? Like, you got to go deep. You should go to a conference yeah. final, not to a Stanley Cup final. I, I, I'm not sure. Like, when I watch this team play, I know I see all the big names. I'm saying, do they really play the style of play that succeeds in the playoffs? I'm not sure. One guy that has impressed me, and I'll leave it at this, is Austin Matthews. His 200-foot game has grown. Yeah. Block shots have grown. 100%. That is a guy who's looking like, hey, I need to start to learn to take this team on my back, Ala a Crosby, McKinnon, all those guys who had a click in their head, hey, if I don't do this and do everything, basically, whether it's drop the mitts or whatever, you mm -hmm. are not going to go far. So I have to be that guy that shows everybody else that, hey, I'm the top dog here, but I'm still willing to lay down in front of a laser. And if it takes me out, it takes me out, but I block that shot. All you need to do is pay everybody $13.5 then, and you'll be fine. <laughs> They're about to pay William that? Nylander 11.25. So Hey, the cap's going up. The cap's going up. <laughs> Dennis, that, I that, that solves everything, right? The cap's going. Right. Hey, Leafs got the money. Uh, yeah. I always appreciate you jumping on. Enjoy the game tonight, my friend. We'll have you on uh, maybe throughout the season again. Thanks, James and Clark. Appreciate it. Great stuff to on offside hockey talk. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at what Dennis just said about the Leafs. I mean, you look at the Leafs and say, hey, maybe they need to find some more guys with that proper DNA. We all agree that Mr. Austin Matthews is on that trend. But the Leafs, as we talked to Dennis, are on that Western swing, Clark. And I want to know for you this week, we got L.A., the Ducks, and the Sharks. What are the Leafs going to come out looking like this week? I think we see Hill to be tomorrow. I'm just saying. I think we do see the Hill to beats in the crease. I think Sheldon Keefe right now is doing everything he can to deflect all of the media and energy away from Hill to beats by saying Jones may play to keep that calm. And one thing I want to say before we I get your prediction here. We need to go back to the Lou Lamorello ways of one thing. When you are a rookie, you don't speak to the media. The media is not allowed to get to you. 
period. They're not allowed to drill you. They're not allowed to ask you questions. And I know that they want players to be out there and talking, but even when Austin Matthews and and um, Mitch Marner and William Nylander, all those guys were rookies, they did not face the media. That was a Lou Lamorello rule. The veterans came out, whether it was Leo Komarov or et cetera, et cetera, down the line. So I'd like it to go back to that. I don't want the Hill to beast in front of any media at all. I want him to be able to just focus on his game and not have to answer all of these questions. Because it seems like that is something, too, that Ilya Samsonov had an issue with. Because he even said when he won that first game, hey, guys, it's been a while since I talked to you, right? Because all those things, the hoopla. But anyways, to bring it back to this week, what is your prediction, my friend? Yeah, well, you know what? I wouldn't be totally shocked if they give Martin Jones all three games on this trip. Um, he's very familiar with the division. Uh, he played in it for, what did I say, 11 years or something? Which, yeah. Um, and just given the fact that Hildeby is so young and just got here. Oh, uh, but you, you shouldn't baby him, Clark. That's what my comment section says. You shouldn't baby him. He's not a baby. He's 22. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But I also think, you know what? Martin Jones hasn't played a ton this year. He's a established, experienced veteran. He can handle one back-to-back and then play his old team. I think that's – I think he can handle it. Um, if he can't, why is he here? Uh, and you know what? It's one week. So I would say if, if it was up to me, it's clearly not. Uh, but if it was, I would give Martin Jones all three games this week and let Hilda just kind of be with the team on the West Coast road trip. And then I don't know what the next game is. Can you give me the, can you look at the schedule and tell me what the game after the Sharks is? Sharks. Would, oh, the Sharks again? The Sharks in Toronto on Monday. That's what I give Hilda be. Give Hilda be the home game against that team. That's what I would do. Um, See, here's my argument for you on that one. I would rather get my feet wet as an NHL goaltender away from what could potentially be the Boo Birds of the Scotiabank Arena if you lay an egg because it does not matter who is in the crease. If you're young, old, middle-aged, a century, Kurs, Joseph, it don't matter. They will boo you if the game is bad. And how totally. will that affect a young hill to be? That's fair. No, I get that for sure. And you don't get that on the road hypothetically, but – um, I think that this team is in the middle of. I think this is, this is the hurricane. I think at the moment. I think we're we're kind of in the middle of it. Not at the eye of the storm where it's all calm. I think this is kind of we're kind of in the middle of it right now. Um, everything just seems to be chaotic at the moment. Nothing seems to be fully clicking at the moment. There's been good times in the past. There's been bad times. There's been worse times. Um, I'll say that I think there's been worse times, but this season specifically, but I think right now it's just kind of everything's in a tornado or something at the moment. Everything's flying around. Uh, nobody's quite sure of anything at the moment. Everybody's confidence seems to be a little bit shot. Like their feet aren't on the ground, so to speak, if the tornado reference. Um, and I just think that this team needs to just settle the heck down. Uh, something, something about this team just has them on edge. I don't see them looking confident like they have in the past. Um, and something's going on. So I don't know what it is. It's hard to say with, with some of these things in the locker room. We don't know what's going on behind the doors. We don't know what's going on with the coaching staff. The messaging the coaching staff is preaching. I, I've had this one thought that maybe there's some mixed messaging coming from the coaching staff. We've seen this year all year long. We've seen issues with uh, bad line changes leading to penalties. We've seen issues with missed assignments. We've seen all this stuff all year long, and it just seems like, you know, maybe there is some sort of mis- mis- mixed messaging coming from the coaching staff. I'd be really curious to know uh, if that is the case or not. But either way, um, I think that this week uh, overall will be kind of the uh, turning point one way or the other. If it's a bad week, I think we see action sooner than later, even though um, it's not an easy market to make any moves in whatsoever. But I think if this is a bad week, I think the panic button gets hit a little bit. That's kind of where I'm at with this season right now. I'm trying to keep my, my head level in terms of being an over, over-anxious fan. I'm trying to keep that level-headed approach to that. But at the same time, with the way things have been going for a couple weeks, at least three weeks, and just overall in the season, James, I think you'd agree with me that it's been, I'm going to say underwhelming. It hasn't been terrible. I mean, they're still putting up points. They're still getting points in a lot of games. Uh, but I think it's been underwhelming. And I think if they have a bad week on their California trip here, especially against the Ducks and the Sharks, I mean, LA is a great team. 
Um, but if they have a bad week, I think it's going to be panic button for a lot of people, especially in the offices of the team. Uh, so I would hope for everybody's sake that it's a, you know, they have a really good game here against the Kings tonight, and then they can handle business against the Ducks and Sharks, and then you get a home game against the Sharks again. It kind of gives you a chance to get rolling a little bit, and uh, it, it, but otherwise it could be heads heads could be rolling. Well, for me for this week, Clark, I'll give you my numbers. I'm going to say three zero and zero. Yeah. And why do I say that? I say this because there is a lot of tornado stuff going on. There is a lot of, whoa, this guy might get moved. This guy could get bought out, or not bought out, uh, brought down, brought up, brought up, this, sure, that, sure. and other stuff. Too much going on. So for the Leafs right now, I think what you're going to see is a consistent game. I'm going to say they're going to keep it simple. They're going to use the kiss method. They're going to make sure the shots are blocked, lanes are clogged. They are going to do all of the small little things that I've been so angry about all year that I keep bringing up to you. It's the little things, the attentions to detail that I think you will start to see. And to touch on the fact that Mitch Marner's family wouldn't be happy with him on the third line, who gives a rat's ass? You are in the business of winning hockey games and building a competitive hockey team. If Mitch Marner on the third line makes the team more competitive, Paul Marner goes suck an egg because this team needs it to be that way. That's the way it should be. You should not be worried about feelings. You should not be worried about how guys are going to react with their families or on social media. If you don't like it here as a Toronto Maple Leaf, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. But if you want to be a part of the solution to fix the problem, play on whatever goddamn line you're put on and put up points and do your damn job because that is what you are paid to do. And I'm usually sunshine and rainbows. But to hear a comment like that from Dennis drives me nuts because if that is the narrative, you are so worried about making Mitch Marner unhappy, good, make him unhappy, make him uncomfortable. Maybe he'll perform. Maybe that's what you need to do. Get him out of his comfort zone and get him going because that might be the ticket to lighten the fire under everybody's ass, period. Because obviously nothing else is working. And if you want Sheldon Keith to have teeth, no pun intended, get it done. Let him do what he wants to do. He sat David freaking camp, big whoop de freaking do. He sat a do nothing who just put in another do nothing. Because Pontus Holmberg is not good on the draw. David Camp is not good on the draw. You have a specific skill set, Mr. Camp, and that is to win draws for the Toronto Maple Leafs. If we didn't miss you out of the lineup, there's a problem. So do your job. That's my, yeah. my rant. One thing I'll, I'll add to that, James, is Mitch Marner, we we give him a lot of credit um, for his two-way play, like his penalty kill work, all the stuff that he does, not scoring. He He's only got 38 points in 34 games. Now that, yes, 90% of the league would take that in a second. You would take over a point per game and run and... I'm not happy. saying he's underperforming. That's not my argument. My argument here is that if you need to balance out your lineup so that way you can roll a little, like Dennis just said, you can roll lines. That's what you have to do. Stop being so top heavy. No, spread it out. I agree with you. I am. I am saying he's underperforming. Is what I'm saying. I think 38 points in 34 games for a guy who makes Mitch Marner money. Uh, that's not good enough, Mitch. Like he's having a fine season. I'm not going to say he's been bad, but I'm just saying. You know what? When when you're making the money that he is at this point in, in his career. This guy's a two point. This is almost a two point per game style of player. Like that's we've seen it. We've not two points. That's that's extreme. But yeah, you know what I, I know mean. What you mean yeah. A hundred point pace. He's on like an eighty eight point pace right now. Like that's that's one of his worst seasons in the last few years. Uh, and so when you look at it that way, and the other thing is we you talk a lot about the depth and stuff of the team. Uh, Yarn croak seventeen points in thirty four games. Domi's picked it up. I'll give him credit. He's got twenty one points. Uh, Matthew Nice. We talk about him a lot positively. You know, he's only got 14 points, eight goals. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi, six goals, 14 points. Uh, Nick Robertson has been, okay, 11 points, 23 games. So, I mean, half a point per game. That's fine. Uh, for a third-line guy, not too shabby. Especially for his role and everything, right? David Camp, seven points. Uh, fourth line, not playing with much, but seven points. And then you mentioned it, and I thank you for calling, calling me out during Dennis uh, in a good way saying that the defensive production has been terrible. Morgan Riley, 27 points in 34 games. 
Good. And and I think I think every Leafs fan this season, or at least a good chunk of majority of Leaf fans, would say that Morgan Riley has been playing like playoff Morgan Riley. Yep. More than there more has than, not been any complaints I've seen from Leafs Nation on. Morgan I Riley. hope not, because I think he's been great outside of Morgan Riley. And I'm not talking about defensively. I'm talking about point production, which is why I was a component or a proponent, I should say, of John Klingberg's addition, because I thought he was going to help, and that was bad. But that's, you know what, you got to swing for the fences sometimes. Outside of Morgan Riley, Jake McCabe, 10 points in 28 games. TJ Brody, 7 points in 33 games, no goals. Connor Timmins, 6 points in 13 games. Okay, I'll, t- I'll take that, but he's also been really bad in other areas. <laughs> yeah. Timothy, Le- Timothy Leagren, 6 points in 17 games. Mark Giordano, 6 points in 22 games. John Klingberg, I'll just won't even say that one. Uh, Legison, 3 points in 21 games. Benoit, zero points in twenty-one in twenty games. Like, I get that everyone and their grandma wants us to get a big, rugged defenseman who can be physical. I get it. So do I. But I also, I also just can't emphasize enough that the Leafs are getting. And I, I know goal scoring is not our biggest issue at the moment. But the Leafs are getting almost no production from anyone on their blue line who isn't named Morgan Riley. And, and that's good. I'm going to keep pointing it out until something changes with that. Um, not that it's a bad thing, but if you look at some of their defensive struggles, I think you've seen that they can't get the puck out of their own zone sometimes. And I think zone exits is a big deal, even though people think that's a garbage stat. I think zone exits are important. And when you, I do guys, when you have guys who cannot can simply not move the puck, it doesn't work, <laughs> especially when you have all that talent up, up the front. All that talent, and you can't get it to them, uh, that's a problem. Uh, And it leads to defensive issues being exposed. Thank you for attending my TED Talk. Yes, and the other thing I'll add to your thing there, Clark, is the fact you are playing – listen, TJ Brody, we all know he's not the TJ Brody he used to be. I'm not bashing the guy, but I'm a big proponent, and you know this, of putting guys in positions to succeed. TJ Brody being up with Morgan Riley is not the spot for him now. He needs to be a four on yeah. this team. He needs to be on that second pair. You need to find someone to play with Morgan Riley. And I say this because then you could start shifting proper defensive responsibilities to these guys. If you limit the minutes of TJ Brody, I think you see his play come back up. But if you pair him with a guy like Timothy Lilligren, who can move the puck and then doesn't have the fear of maybe being exposed or getting caught up ice or whatever he's doing with the puck, because he can wheel with it, no problem. If you have TJ Brody on limited minutes back there with a guy like him or even Connor Timmons, maybe you get to insulate that player properly and allow them to thrive more offensively. But you need to find that guy to go with Morgan Riley to slot everybody down to where they need to be properly on this defense. That's that's my look at it. That's the way I think of it. And if that's getting a Chris Tanev to play with Riley, to move Brody down, to sit with someone offensively, whether it's Lilligren, Timmons, you name it. Hey, if you can get Timmons into the lineup moving the puck and have someone to cover for his defensive woes, then I think you're starting to talk, okay, that may have what made him that good during the preseason. You know, he was the Connor leading the scoring. It was a funny joke. So if we can get that Connor Timmons back with a good steady defense partner, whether it's Geo, whether it's Brody or someone brought in or McCabe for that matter, when you start slotting guys in where they belong, they look like they belong. And that's just a simple fact of it. The other thing I want to talk to you about, we talked about moving Marner. We talked about the Hildebees. By the way, the sandwich board went out the window. We've gone up and down this thing, <laughs> fourth light, left and center. So it was just simply talking points today, folks. We'll, we're not going by order today. But anyways, the Willie rumors are out there. Uh, Elliot Friedman, we mean you were exchanging about this a couple of hours ago, uh, about how Friedman kind of stokes the flames every now and then. Um, now Nick Kiprios and Justin Bourne, I put the clip out today, um, you know, basically saying they're getting close. They want to get it done by the All-Star, uh, talking Pasternak-type money, uh, which a lot of people's minds just blew um, by the way, I don't know if you guys know, but William Nylander is, what, top five in NHL scoring, uh, tied with a guy named Connor McDavid. Uh, not too shabby right now. Now, will that, is that sustainable? 
who knows? Nylander is better than McDavid confirmed. Is that what you're saying, James? Confirmed. Well, also Pasternak is better than both of them because he's ahead of them by two points. So, mm-hmm. But for me, I look at it like this and say, okay, the William Nylander rumors, where there's smoke, there's got to be a little bit of fire because everybody is talking about it. But notice how everybody's talking about it in a positive light. It's not that he's leaving or the Leafs and him are far apart or there's negativity between one side or the other or, you know, maybe he's going to wait till the end of the season. Everybody is on the same talking point. He's staying. They're talking. They're close. They want to get it done quickly. What's different here? Why isn't it like before? Because usually these things are doom and gloom in Toronto. This one seems like sunshine and rainbows, man. So my favorite person in this entire uh, saga, I'm going to call it a saga, um, to follow. And I'm talking like the entire career of William Nylander. Uh, My favorite person to follow has been Nick Kiprios because his, and I love Nick Kiprios. Um, I've had him, I've booked him on the other show I work for several times. He's a great guy. He really, really is. Uh, But watching his opinion on William Nylander change Time and time and time and time again. Oh, look at him. He's a great guy. We got to get him on the show at some point again. He's been on um, here a couple times, man. Yeah, we got to get him on. He's 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 literally, if you, I would talk to Nick Kipper. You could talk to him for like two hours and then be like, oh, I've asked you one question and it was the best two hours of my life. <laughs> like, it was, you know, he's not that he talks too much, but like you could just, he, it's a, he's a great talk. He's a great guy. He doesn't become boring. Nothing becomes stale. No. Everything is exciting. And yeah. he has stories for days. Oh, dude, if you want to hear some great Rangers stories from the early 90s, there's nobody better. But what I will say is watching his opinion change on William Nylander from early Nylander days, mid Nylander yep. days, and then to now is it's it's amazing. Uh, th- this is coming the from the guy who wanted to trade him for Nick Ritchie and, and Brandon Montour, which Montour, honestly, would probably be a good good fit on the Leafs right now. But at the time, it was nonsensical. And Nick Ritchie is now getting suspended in Switzerland or whatever he's doing. So, uh, <laughs> But William Nylander is now, in Nick Kiprios' opinion, playing too good. And he's outpricing himself for the team. Because before, it was he wasn't worth the amount that he was asking for. And they should trade him. Get him out of here now because he's asking for too much money. And now... Nick Kiprios's comments today, I believe, uh, and he, I think he's even put an article out, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the The article is, or the headline was from Nick Kiprios, that he is playing so well that the Leafs can't pay him enough. Uh, and that's just w- watching the evolution of the Nick Kiprios versus William Nylander relationship. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, and I love it. And I think Kiprios would probably be the first one to tell you that, you know what? People's opinions are allowed to change, and his probably has. I can uh, hear his voice literally saying that. Yeah, yeah. Opinions, people can change opinions, and things happen. And you know what? In in all fairness, William Nylander, in my opinion, because I've watched, I'm not going to say every game, but I've watched a good 60 70% of the games of his career uh, on TV or whatever. He has probably evolved more than as a player, more than Marner or Matthews. I, I, honestly, I really do believe that. I think William Elander early in his career was a turnover machine. He, he Once he didn't have the puck, there was not much that he was going to be doing. And now you see him out there, and he's tenacious. Like He's not physical necessarily, but he's such a good puck retriever, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and this, he's a totally different player now than he was as a 22-, 3-year-old, fresh-faced kid from Sweden. Um, you know, I think he's a much, much more developed and complete hockey player. And I, I've, his development has been amazing. Now, what I will say is uh, 11.25 to me still seems a little high. Um, but if that's the number that it comes in at, uh, I saw a great tweet today from, uh, I think it was uh, Jen on Twitter. And I think her Twitter handle is, uh, you'd know her to see her. I'm sure you've seen her lots. Jen Tavarner. Yes. Nylander, yep. or whatever her name is uh, on there. She mixed Tavares, Matthews, Nylander, and Marner's names. Um, she said, if we can get another elite superstar who's just getting into the peak of his game under contract for eight more seasons in this city, 
the number really doesn't matter. We got him for eight more years, and that's another great player on this team that you can build around for years and years to come. And I think that's another kind of when Austin Matthews signed his deal. My biggest thing was, you know what? We have Austin Matthews for five more years after this. That's all I really am caring about. The yeah. number is overly important. Now, I know with Nylander, it's different because it's a bigger gap between what he's getting paid now and what he's going to get paid. But I still think if you can get him under contract for eight years, do it. Just get it done and, and get it over with and let's move on and, and have some fun with them. Well, that's what Kiprio said too in that clip too. I didn't get the whole thing in there because obviously it would have took a long time. But yeah, you know, get this player under contract, get it done, get it over with and move forward. The cap's going up. You'll figure it out from there. And there's obviously money coming off the books as well. Um, the last one for this show, guys, we're going to talk about this. Is Keith on the hot seat here? Uh, one win in the last six. A lot of Leafs Nation is freaking out. Here's the thing. For me, I look at Sheldon Keith and say, Fastest 300 wins as a coach, or 300 games, 200 wins, not too shabby. Is the playoff success there yet? No. But you look at guys like John Cooper. He did the same thing. It took him a long while to finally get rolling and have success. They had to find the right chemistry. So to me, Sheldon Keefe is not on the hot seat. So relief station. And if you're bringing someone in, please tell me who's got better success than him. Outside of one guy, Craig Berube, Gerard Gallant does not. Bruce Boudreaux does not. They all have the same first-round pedigree as Mr. Sheldon Keefe. So who are you bringing in that has this vast experience that is going to change the landscape of the Toronto Maple Leafs to propel them to the next round? Because here's the problem. You bring in a new coach, he has new strategies, new ways to play. Team has to go through the growing pains of figuring it out. Sure, you might get the dead cap bounce of a couple wins, but the thing is, everything needs to change, and all the players are then under evaluation, and everything in the lineup will start to change again. This team can and will hit stride under Sheldon Keefe this season. I know there'll be moves before the deadline because Trey probably wants to get the people in there early enough to make an impact, not just at the deadline with a few games remaining. And Joe Wool will be back, folks. And we don't know what we have in the Hildebeast. Maybe you have the brick wall and the beast running the crease for the Leafs. That's my two cents on Sheldon Keefe. Yeah, I've been uh, more back and forth on Sheldon Keefe this year than maybe a lot of people. I, I just can't figure out whether I, whether I feel like he's the problem or if it's just this group that isn't quite meshing or something's not working or... Or is it the assistant coaches? They just, again, replaced both assistant coaches again this year, which has been like the third year in a row that they've replaced the assistant coaches, I feel like, which I don't know how much of an impact that does have in the NHL. I would love to talk to a player uh, who can tell me how much impact the assistant coaches have and how much impact changing assistant coaches as often as the Leafs have has an impact. Because really, if you look at it, I, I think of, um, you know, like you mentioned Tampa Bay with John Cooper. I feel like, maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like they had the same assistant coaches for like three or four years in a row. And and then you get the same messaging. Like I said earlier, like I feel like there's some mixed messaging going on or or something with Mike Van Ryan and uh, with um, with uh, Guy Boucher or something's going on where it's, they're, the two aren't working together well or something. I It's hard for me to say exactly. Like I said, I'd love to talk to a player and, and ask them, how much impact assistant coaches truly have on a day-to-day basis or season-to-season basis. I'd love to know. Uh, But with Keith specifically, I think the hot-button, easy thing to say is that the head coach isn't doing a good enough job. Uh, And like you said, it's hilarious. Uh, He's In terms of coaching stats, he's got some of the best of all time. Uh, Now, can you put the argument out there that he inherited a really talented roster? That scores a lot of goals and wins games. For some of those, you can, you can say that though. But why didn't that work for Mike Babcock then? Yeah, well, true. And and you can and you know for some of those three hundred wins, that was probably the case. But I feel like, like you said, for just like with Babcock, just because you have a good team doesn't mean you get a lot of wins. Uh, coaching does matter, and how you do stuff does matter. And I I think that there's parts of that to the Sheldon Keefe lore uh, with the roster stuff. But at the same time, he's also been there for it. And you got to win the games too. It's Everyone has a job and he's been doing his statistically quite well. Now, if they were to fire him, 
uh, now, which I, I just, I can't see a scenario at all during this season where they would fire him. I just can't see any scenario where that would happen. Every DM owes their coach a trade. Sure. You know what? And exactly. And I think that tree living hasn't done what he wants to do yet with this team. And uh, you know what? I just don't think that firing Sheldon Keefe during this season makes much sense. Uh, Unless, unless they go through like a 10 game losing streak and something terrible happens. And that's bottom out and go off the cliff. Like the 18 wheeler joke I made. Then yeah, yeah, no problem. Then bring in Hordachuk again. Guy Boucher can step up and be the head coach, and I'd be fine with that because he had a he's had a decent career himself. Uh, but I just think, yeah, I don't think he's going to get fired. Um, I think that the pressure and the the hot seat, like you said, the pressure is going to get more intense. The hot seat's probably going to get hotter, but I don't think he's getting fired uh, during the season uh, unless unless something Detroit Pistons losing streak style happens. Uh, that would. I, I could see it then, but other than that, if this team keeps scrapping together points and getting into overtimes and winning most games, more games than they lose, I just don't see him getting fired. Yeah, I don't either. Well, to finish this one off, my friends, I don't see anyone getting fired off of this. I think they're going to get fired up. You, right now, go with our friends over at the Hockey Podcast Network and check out DraftKings. Right now, if you download the app and use the code THPN, New customers can get 150 bucks instantly in bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets set to expire 168 hours after issuance. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available Free and problem gambling, call 888-788-9777 or visit ccp.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bet set to expire 168 hours after issuance. ctkng.com slash hockey for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks for the National Hockey League. Copyright. 2024 all rights reserved well folks that wraps us up for tonight the numbers were great the folks were here love the fact we had dennis on as well clark 2024 is gonna be a fun year for this show looking forward to it buddy yeah well obviously anytime uh i say this all the time but thanks for having me uh love being a part of the crew with dylan and pete uh and i think like i said earlier i'm just gonna say it this week this could be a turning point in the season in a couple different ways. It could go good or bad, but I think I think we're going to have a, a whole different perspective on things come this time next week. I'll say that. I'll say that. Well, let's check it out on Sunday night, the Leafs weekender here for Offside, myself, hopefully Clark, and I know Dylan will be there. Sunday night, check it out, 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you there live. But this is Offside Hockey Talk, where the Maple Leafs and hockey come to talk. <laughs>